Welcome back to One Winning Pod. We're really excited to have Coach DC on the show to talk about implied versus actual personnel and how the Ravens have really embraced being a team that's very versatile with the formations they run while having the same personnel on the field. So coach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me guys. Appreciate it, man. I really appreciate it. I think this is a really interesting topic because while the Ravens have done this for several years now, they really leaned into it this year with the selections of Kolar and likely uh, two tight ends. When people thought we, we need another wide receiver. You just got rid of Hollywood. There's some question marks around the younger players there. And, you know, traditionally you would think of 11 personnel and getting these wide receivers in and they just completely zagged. And it didn't take for too long for me to get pretty excited about this and really kind of dive into thinking more about what this could mean for our offense. You know, we talk a lot about how the Hamilton pick might be really interesting for our defense. I think these two picks is really interesting for the future of our offense. Great point. The comparison between Hamilton defensively and and those two, not just body size being similar, but the versatility. Hamilton, a guy who can play multiple positions on defense. You know, seen film of him in college stepping out and playing. You know, corner, uh, depending on who the the, the receiver was. And the same thing applies for Kohler and Likely. That's an interesting comparison. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and you also have to commend the Ravens for uh, just going to what they know. Obviously, we all have a lot of high hopes for Bateman. Uh, he looks like a guy with a lot of potential, could really be a top wide receiver in this league. But uh, from the draft perspective, they really haven't gotten that guy before. Their record's been incredibly spotty at best with drafting wide receivers late, mm-hmm. really anywhere in the draft. But, you know, receiving tight end, they've had plenty of these guys that they've drafted. Todd Heap, obviously, Dennis Pitta, um, Mark Andrews, um, and then, you know, even some guys who, who weren't quite at that level, but also had an, an impact as well. So this team knows tight ends. They know how to get good guys who can fit their scheme and can be matchup nightmares for the defense. So obviously, as a fan base, we'd love for the Ravens to have a, a slew of wide receivers like a lot of these top offenses have. But, uh, you know, you, you got to rely on what your scouting department knows well and that's tight ends. And there's a lot of different ways they can deploy these guys to make up for, you know, maybe not having the deepest wide receiver core in the league. Definitely, man. And and these guys, I think, you know, I I think it should be quite obvious. The team that we have to beat, the team that we have to figure out defensively is, is the Cincinnati Bengals. And they are Alec, Alec used the word. They are versatile defensively with their coverages and they're able to play multiple coverages out of their nickel defense personnel. What we're going to attempt to do, I think we would assume, is we're going to be able to use our tight ends to have bigger personnel on the field and kind of force them into showing their hand. Are you going to stay with your nickel personnel against our two and or three tight end looks? Or are you going to go with your base personnel, which we we did not have as much difficulty against their base personnel last year um, until they started to bring you know five and six man pressures, particularly in week seven. We had a lot of trouble with that. That's a great point, Coach. Actually, one of the things that I'm thinking back to is, um, if I recall, I think the the Browns had a game where they, you know, I think they crushed the the Bengals, right? Yes. Um, they did a good, I mean, they did a great job of that. And the, obviously, the Browns being another one of those teams that relies pretty heavily on tight ends, they've got some three good ones there, or at least they had three good ones. I guess they let mm-hmm. go of uh, Hooper, but yeah, I, I didn't think of it that way. Of yeah, they're you know, Cincinnati really came up with something defensively that kind of really spurred them. Um, you know, to 
be able to make that Super Bowl. Obviously, Burrow, you know, with his improvements, uh, especially with his deep ball, I think that was a, a big step forward. But their defense really played really, really well in the playoffs. And yeah, I hadn't th- I hadn't thought about it that way before of of kind of this as a, a counter to what Cincinnati's doing there. But I think it's a great point. Yeah, I could be, you know, I could be off base or off center with that, but and and the draft just fell that way as well. I think you, you know, we heard EDC and other people say we just, you know, however the draft falls for us is how it falls. So I think Alec mentioned it versatility um, defensively, you know, with, with Hamilton and offensively with the tight ends, but the front office displayed versatility as well, because me personally, if you watch my videos, I don't think Hamilton was matter of fact, they said he was not, they did not expect him to be there at 14 in any of their mocks. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that, I think, I mean, and I said this in videos, I don't know what it was about two weeks before the draft. I firmly felt and still do that. We were going wide receiver at 14. Uh, I just did. Um, and uh, that did not happen. So the draft fell differently than I, I think what their plan A was. Or if that wasn't their plan 1A, then I think that was their plan 1B. So versus, you have to be versatile, whether you're a coach or a teacher or whatever. You you can't coach the guys that aren't on your team. <laughs> you know, So whoever whoever you have is, is where your strategy is going to go. And I think there's tremendous amount of man hours that are put into the draft in terms of, hey, if this guy's gone at 14 or if this guy's gone at 45, we can go here and then we can do this. And that that's what really interests me more so than the really surface level conversation, not from you guys, but from other people that's like, hey, how come we're not drafting wide receivers? Like it goes deeper than that. There's more depth. My favorite saying is it's not that simple. It's one of my favorite sayings. Mm-hmm. And I think it applies to our draft strategy, uh, which is you guys are, are you know shedding some light on it. It's a lot more depth. Um, than people gave him credit for originally. Yeah, it's interesting too with the wide receiver situation. I think you're right that they were going to pick a wide receiver if the run on wide receivers didn't happen. And as Ravens fans, before we knew the Hollywood news, I think we were all excited to see the wide receivers go because they brought guys like Hamilton and like Jermaine Johnson, who at that time was a a prospect we were really Mm -hmm. thinking would go highly. They kept pushing them back. And, uh, it was almost like everything was going perfectly to plan, but yeah, good point um, with the wide receiver bit. You know, you got us talking right now about the versatility the tight end position can bring and how we want to do these implied personnels, but there is value in a top wide receiver, and we're not trying to say that those aren't great assets to have to the team and how you know we're really excited that Bateman's there. We really are hoping Prochet can make a huge step or, or Duvernay or Tyler Wallace, but yeah, it's, it's cool how... You can also get these players at a lot less draft capital. Uh, a lot of the best tight ends in the league were not drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. Almost I mean, that most of them weren't the first day at all, uh, or even maybe even the second day. Uh, so th- it's really easy, uh, relatively, to find an all-star tight end later on, or a even just very serviceable tight end later on than it is a wide receiver. Yeah, and that and the way you guys phrased it in the shared document you sent me, Alec. You know, in terms of Andrews, you know, people, again, you know, people spend time talking about, you know, is Andrews tight end one? That's like, it's like, come on, guys, you're missing the point. That's the point is, isn't, is Andrews tight end one? It's, is he wide receiver 10, you know, or whatever, if you want to talk about league stuff. And I don't even like those numerical assignments to people, but, you know, he is a wide receiver in terms of the way we deploy him generally. 
we, we tend to line him up further than four yards from the right tackle or left tackle. So you tell me what that guy's called. That's typically called a slot receiver, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't yeah. spend a whole lot of time in a three-point stance running routes from there, nor does he spend a whole lot of time. It would be an interesting study to do. I wish I had time uh, to figure out, hey, how many times did he actually line up in three-point stance next to the right tackle or the left tackle? And did we run you know, to his side? I really don't think it happens a whole lot. Yeah, and that's actually one of the things I'm looking out for this year. I was talking to Jason uh, from Hold Up Films about it, how I really wanted to keep an eye on, because we're talking about these tight ends and how they might deploy them, and and also just kind of keep track of the implied personnel, which Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of define it is you look at the huddle and you see, okay, there's two tight ends and we'll call it two running backs like Dobbins and Ricardo there, and let's say Likely and Andrews are in the huddle. Okay, so it looks like it's 22 personnel. But then what do they do? They end up having uh, Mark Andrews as a wide receiver, uh, likely as a halfback, and uh, and then have Ricard in line. Okay, what what's that? You know, like right. that's a that's a that's a different formation now. Uh, now now you're in. I guess you'd call it twelve personnel, but it's still like, uh, or actually I guess twenty one with the halfback. So yeah, it's, it's just really interesting that you can change it around like that and not know where are these players are going to line up, where these assets are going to line up. And I think it really does put the defense in a pickle. Like you said, they're going to have to show their hand mm-hmm. and we could even go up to the line, not knowing what we're going to run. <laughs> we're going to base it off what you do. So if you come in light, we, we grin and we, you know, maybe motion and we run the ball right at you. And then if you're, if you're in a heavy personnel, all right, we can audible out and, you know, hit a quick pass play or something. To- totally. I think I, I think Peter was kind of, you know, alluding to it earlier it, that that is what I foresee out of this, with the personnel groupings that they'll be able to, you know, put out there. Personnel is personnel informations. If, you know, if you've listened to any of my videos is, is really something that intri- intrigues me. And I try to mention it a lot because I try to um, trying to disseminate that level of importance to the people who, you know, who do watch my video for hopefully more than just three or four minutes, because it is, it is the game. It's not the game within the game. To me, it's actually third level. It's the game within the game within the game. You know, it's the personnel and then the way that they're deployed. I don't think it's, again, it's it's a surface level thing to just talk about the personnel, which is what a lot of people do. You have to talk about how are they being deployed and then what does that, how does that challenge the defense to line up and execute, you know, whatever their call is supposed to be against that formation with their base and their nickel on the field. You really have two, um, you really have two, tests that are happening in the game with one of them is with your base defense and one of them is with your nickel and certain teams only play certain coverages out of their base defense because of the the heavier personnel they have on the field and and I think that's one of the ways that the Ravens are going to try to attack people is keep the base defense on the field and spread them out a little bit yeah it's definitely a very interesting aspect of the game um that uh I mean uh, uh, your videos are are excellent as far as breaking that down for for the fan. Um, we really appreciate what you do there. It's really interesting watches, but yeah, you know, you bring up a great point. No matter how your roster is constructed, how good you're going to be is really how are you deploying the guys? Are you using them in the correct manner in the right way? And formations and play schemes is exactly how that's going to to happen. Um, analogy that sometimes I overuse as someone who uh, is an avid chess player is just, you know, I think you bring up a great point. It's just like you look at a game of, of chess 
everyone has the same pieces, but there's billions of ways you can play that game. It just depends mm. on what combination you use the pieces in, uh, what openings you're doing, and and that that stuff. And you know how how good that game is just depends on how good the strategy is and how good you're you know you're setting up, which is exactly what you're saying right there. It's like you know. Yes, our, if we just want to line up all the rosters in the NFL and just compare, okay, who has the most talent or not, you know, that's a discussion, but is it going to tell us who's going to win, you know, the Super Bowl at the end of the year? Not really. It's going to depend on how the coaches use those players and what schemes mm-hmm. they use against uh, what coverages the teams are going are gonna to play at. So, yeah, it's a really great points you're making, and it's going to be really – exciting to see what the Ravens end up doing with these guys uh, once the season kicks off. I know. I, 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 me personally, like when I watch the game, if I, if I don't, and this comes from, you know, the days of coaching, if I don't chart the personnel, I don't feel like I remember, you know, mid game. I don't feel like I can remember, okay, why do I think they ran that play on that, you know, second and seven, whatever. Why do I think they ran that play? If I, if I've charted it, I can maybe flip back a page and go, okay, the last time we were in 12 personnel, on second and seven, they had their nickel in, you know, because it's second and seven. So theoretically that's a long yardage, you know, down to make. And so we went 12 personnel the next time on second and seven. And I can reflect on that. I don't feel like I'm smart enough to mentally track the personnel during the game. That was my point there. So, um, (laughs) so I, I need to get better myself at explaining that in my videos and, and hopefully doing it in a way that appeals to people and, and doesn't, um, talk down to people, obviously. Oh, I don't think you have that issue at all. I think, um, you're always very informative and very like you do like the right thing. Like and it maybe kind of shows some of your background uh, as a coach of you explain stuff, even if you think it doesn't need to be explained, but you don't act as though it should be already known. I mean, I can speak for all of us here. We don't, none of us have ever played football and a lot of our football knowledge has come by watching the Ravens and just watching, you know, football our whole life, but we didn't play it. So we don't know that stuff. We're like learning it, uh, you know, as we kind of go and become, uh, larger fans and whatnot. So um, to me, I always approach or appreciate hearing that perspective because I, I think ever since starting the show, I've been wanting to like learn more about personnel packages and schemes. And I think that's what really makes me really uh, interested in seeing what the Ravens are doing because I think they're unique. They don't do just the boilerplate, what the rest of the NFL is doing. They're definitely a different team. Absolutely. Great way to tie it in because all of football at, high level high school college and and the NFL is just becoming 11 personnel boilerplate like you said and it's the same four or five formations <laughs> and i mean you could go and watch a high level college game or even a mid level college game and and you see the same formations the ravens are definitely an outlier from the way that the personnel is has been constructed roster wise and then how we can presume or project that it's going to be deployed so great way to tie it in alex all right. So on that note, um, why don't we get into looking at what the Ravens might do this year? Um, so like we talked about, uh, Kohler and Likely are going to be new to this offense. Um, now, they will be rookies, so we might need to temper our expectations, especially considering they're coming from the tight end position, which is one of the harder positions to transition to from college to uh, the NFL. But again, Ricard's still here. Boyle, hopefully, will be back to his normal self. Um, or at least uh, the core of what he's able to do. Um, we'll see how much he comes back. He's able to come back from that injury. And, you know, we talked about it. We got Bateman and three 
young receivers. So, yeah, I don't know. Where do we want to start with looking at what they what they might what new wrinkles they might add this year? The interesting thing will be correct me if I'm wrong, we were in 11 personnel more last year than in previous years, right? Some of that was probably right. due to injuries, but is that correct? Yes. I would I would not think that 11 personnel will be something we'll be in unless we're falling behind if we're if we're off schedule. I might be wrong there, but I would not think we'll be in 11 personnel that often unless we're behind schedule and down the distance and we're behind schedule in terms of being, you know, trailing in the game at that time. I think you're right, and I also would say we'd have to be uh not maybe behind schedule, but just uh, not aligned with our expectations, so to speak, as far as development of players. I think for us to get into 11 personnel, we would have to see Duvernay, Prochet, and Wallace, at least two of three, make large enough steps to demand being in there at that right. level because Mark Andrews will be there no matter what. Boyle's probably going to be, we're hoping that he'll be back to a form that demands playing time. They just gave Ricard the extension, and they we know they like to use him all around the formation as well. Like You're going to see these guys make their way on the field, so I agree with you. I think 11 personnel will be if you're behind, down a distance, or if these players are just undeniable, which would be great. Like I think we're yeah. all big believers in Prochet and think that he could make a huge step and find his way out there. Um, but, and, and that's not to say that we couldn't see that with Tyler Wallace or Duvernay, but uh, I think they would, it has to be more than one is what I'm getting at for that 11 personnel to really yep. uh, demand the time. It really, it, I, I started saying this right after the draft. I think, I think our 12 personnel can essentially be 11 personnel, no matter really, yeah. no matter who you put on the field. So, and that's one of the unfortunate things with like, um, I love, uh, is it sharp football uh, website? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I love that. That's incredible work. And, um, I just, you know, guy deserves a ton of, you know, a ton of credit. And I hope his Patreon has like, you know, 500 people on it, but in some ways, the way we deploy 12 personnel in 2022 is, is going to not accurately be, um, represented in the data that he summarizes, meaning, our 11 personnel might look like 30%, but in actuality, which is the discussion for tonight, um, it's really going to be you know 45% or maybe even a little higher because our 12 personnel can be 11 by moving Andrews out to receiver or putting likely in the slot. Charlie Kohler, is good. <laughs> the film of him from college as a receiver is really spectacular. The guy can catch the ball. He runs good routes. Uh, makes contested catches. So we do have some guys. I think Kohler and Likely are better receiving targets than Boyle on on day one. Yeah, I bet that's true. I think we kind of talked about this earlier, but the the one thing I'm kind of thinking of um, is that to, to me, I think how the draft kind of fell this year, I think... I don't think the Ravens are doing anything new, right? I, I think this is, you know, mm-hmm. Alex, you know, I, I know you've said this a bunch, like this is the Ravens doubling down on we can do 2019, but way better in, in terms of the core philosophy of, of what they want to do as a team, right? Last year was an outlier because of injuries, but I think we also saw that, you know, some of the personnel that we want to run, you know, we, we have the schemes. I think we have the coaches to be able to deploy the players in the right way we just didn't have the right players last year. Um, now there was some growth from some of those guys, uh, but I do think with Kohler and likely, you know, that really makes that tight end room much, much better. And that between all of the guys that we have between the competition that we're going to have, 
I really do think that that's going to open up this, you know, ability to pull out 11 or 12, you know, we can, we can have this concept again of we're going to put our, you know, offense on the field and you're not going to know what we're going to run because we're so good. You know, we could do, you know, we can run or we can pass. We can do all these different things and, you know, dictate how the defense is going to play. I, I think last year we just, we had a really tough time of being able to do that because we just, we didn't have the the same execution. Yep. And we were, you know, we were off schedule so often because we're, you know, were it not for Lamar run, running game wise, statistically, we, we would have been average to below average. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That, that whole, that whole year was an outlier. <laughs> not, not the one that we'll be looking at long-term. I think, like you said, this is a, uh, this is going back to 2019 and how that formation can work. And I mean, they brought in two guys to try to fill in basically the one Hayden Hurst role. And uh, I also think it very importantly, like we keep wanting to knock on wood, but if Mark Andrews went down in this offense, it really changes everything. But I do think now with these guys that we picked up, there would be, we have a better shot of replacing him than we ever have before. Yeah. Positional overlap is what we used to call it. There's a little bit of overlap there. Likely. Uh, probably more of a big play guy, Kohler, more of a possession type, you know, eight to 12 yards operating in that area, which is generally where Andrews operates. Let's be honest, you know, in terms of catching the football before yards after catch. I really, I really don't. The one thing I don't, going back to what Chris said, the one thing I I don't think is going to happen is I don't think we're going to be, if you look at the, the three tight ends that will be on the field, let's project one of those tight ends has got to be likely or Kohler. I mean, if it's Andrews, Boyle, whoever the third guy is, I don't think Josh Oliver is going to be the guy. But even if it were, Josh Oliver is not a great blocking tight end. My, my point is, I do not think we're going to be in pistol option from like 2019. And I think therein lies the difference. Personnel-wise, we might be similar, more similar to 2019. I do not think we will be in terms of run concepts. I just, and I'll, I'll say this, I say this in my videos all the time. I do not think we'll be running a lot of pistol read option in 2022. I just don't. I think our passing game has progressed to the point and we've improved our weapons. People might not like this. Our weapons in 2022, Bateman, Andrews, and the other tight ends and the, and the receivers are better weapons than the weapons we had in 2019 in terms of receiving. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I mean, who's our best? I mean. <laughs> who was our best target that year I mean, we had, we had I mean, hollywood brown as a rookie mark andrews as a second year guy seth yeah, I mean, roberts as the vet in the room <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah i i would yeah, yeah, i think 2022 is better already yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. and i mean I, I really i really really liked willie sneed i liked his contributions how he blocked mm. the passion he played with and and i thought he made enough big plays in the passing game but my point is where willie sneed to be on this team this year I, I guess he's the number. I don't. I don't know where he fits at wide receiver. I guess he's the number three guy, which is typically yeah. what he's been his career anyway. I certainly don't mean that in a dis disrespectful way. Guys had a great great career, but my point is, I think two thousand will be similar to two thousand nineteen personnel wise, and then shifting that personnel into different formations. Hopefully, keeping the same guys on the field. Uh, another reason why I chart and I, I don't think I'm digressing here, is I like to chart and see, like, how often are we changing personnel from one play to the other? And I think it happens too often. I think that's part of the reason why we get to the line of scrimmage late Yeah, and why we, yes. we don't have the ability to audible as much. Uh, Peyton Manning is 
you know, and Brady and other guys are clearly outliers. They're really far on one end of the spectrum in terms of being able to audible. Why, why, why was that? They had the same personnel on the field from play in to play out. So they could line up with 22 seconds left and that were 20 seconds, whatever, in the play clock. And they could maybe call two audibles. You know, Lamar can't do that because we're getting to the line with eight to 10 seconds. And he's not able to do that. So it doesn't have anything to do with Lamar's ability. If you ask me, it has to do with how much time there is, how much opportunity there is. Hopefully we're transitioning from one personnel group to the other less within each drive. I felt like we were a little haphazard last year. Um, I don't know if you guys notice that or, or, you know, agree or disagree. Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, you know, several, several games and yeah, it was one of those things that, you know, I, I guess maybe initially, like I didn't make that connection, but I mean, it, it was a systemic thing and it, it definitely was yep. something that was noticeable for sure. That actually, you know, that kind of transitions something I j- was just thinking about here. And, and we're tra- if we're talking about differences between 2019 and, and 2022, I think you brought this up coach of, what the Ravens want to reproduce is, you know, relying on a strong run game, relying on this, um, you know, solid personnel that you can run lots of different plays from. Here's like my open question here is that do we think that the changes in some of the players that we brought in and, you know, because we think that the personnel that we're going to have in 2022 is, is better than 2019, is that enough to be able to account for uh, if this team falls behind, right? Because that was the big criticism in 2019 is that they were great. If you could get up early and control the lead, that plays exactly into what the Ravens want to do. But um, is it are these players enough to be able to, if we're down 14 points, can we come back uh, using the personnel that we want to run? Or is there something going to have to shift, something else that we haven't talked about already? Hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, if, if I'm jumping in first, uh, Number one, I think it depends on the quality of the opponent. Because if it's certain offenses, let's say mid-second quarter, and they've already demonstrated they can score on us, you know, if, if they're up 14-0, 17-3, something like that, it's going to be difficult to, you know, to catch them in a race because A, you know, they've got a good offense, so they're going to continue to score. Um, you know, so that I, I think that it depends. Like last year, and you guys, you know, we we did come back and beat the Colts. We did come back and beat the Chiefs. And I thought for two-thirds of that Chiefs game, it looked like the Chiefs were just a far better team. You know, and I, I'm a Ravens fan, but just watching the, the the play and the ebb and flow of the game, it looked like the Chiefs were the better team. Um, even, correct me if I'm wrong, the Vikings game, we had to come back, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's correct. Yes. So two of those, two of those three teams were not great football teams. But I think if you were to rank them, obviously the Chiefs could have and and probably should have been in the Super Bowl. And I think the Colts were highly underrated when we played them in week five. By the end of the regular season, it was shown they were a damn tough team to play. And I don't remember what their record was. And then the Vikings have, you know, perennial disappointment. So my point is, I think it kind of depends on who the team is. But even that comeback against the Chiefs, the Chiefs had a historically bad defense through five weeks last year. So it's it's still like, yes, we, we showed the ability to come back sometimes last year. But I don't think we really did it against really high-level defenses, I guess, to, to kind of initially answer your correct question, Chris. But I don't think I really touched on all the, the elements or points that are there, you know? Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, you know, it's – like we said, that was the criticism of the offense in 2019. And then when they had to come up with an answer to that against the Titans in the divisional round – 
they fell flat in that case. And as as you're saying, we don't really have that many data points from the past two seasons uh, to really say definitively, you know, will this offense be able to do that on a consistent basis? Um, now, of course, the hope is that if we really are going back to some form of 2019, um, you know, it's it's going to be a lot to expect that the Ravens will have the offensive dominance that they had mid-season 2019, where they were beating teams by like, what was 20, 30 points in like, a, it was like a seven-game stretch where they had that. Um, right. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen very often. I, I don't, I think that if we're expecting that, um, you know, we might be a little disappointed, but still though, to, to use that, you know, the type of offense that they, they want to, to use that very personnel to gr- grind the clock and take up a lot of clock in the first half of games and, and get a multiple score lead. You know, I, th- I think they definitely still have the guys to do that. And I, I think another reason in 2019 that, the Ravens had difficulty with that again. I mean, Lamar was only in his second season, Correct. first full season as a starter. Um, 22 years know. old, right? Exactly, yeah. And he's he's certainly made uh, strides as a passer. I mean, if, if you're someone who is trolling on Twitter and, and is calling him a running back, you clearly haven't been watching because, you know, is he the best passer in the NFL? No, but he's made incredible strides in his his passing game. Um, and I think that the Ravens will have to have some personal packages where, you know, we're talking about how they're going to utilize the tight ends, but they're also have, you know, a lot of speed on this offense too, with Bateman, with Duvernay, with Wallace, figure out how to utilize that. You know, how do you, you draw up packages where you can utilize the athleticism that, that those guys have to to stretch the field, either to hit them deep or to, you know, give the tight ends some some yak room underneath. Um, so yeah, but Chris, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is that is the question for this season for this offense is how will they handle that situation? I think that's going to ultimately decide uh, the ceiling for this team in 2022. I've always been a little confused maybe coach you can weigh in on this why there's so much focus on uh changing your offensive scheme when you're behind like i understand if you're like really far behind and there's not that much time left why passing makes a lot of sense but i do think people abandon the run or abandon their game plan far too early in many situations like even if you're two scores down you know, it just takes some consistency to be back as long as there's enough time on the clock. So I've always thought people stray away from their bread and butter a little too quickly. Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. You know, obviously my experience is nowhere near that level, but there, there's no, um, there's no chart that exists to tell you what to do, you know, early second quarter when you're down 20 to three, <laughs> there, there are charts that exist as a coach that you pre-made to tell you when to go for two, you know, depending on how much you're up by, how much you're down by, how much time's left in the game. There are charts that you can reflect on probably on the same page or on the backside of that laminated sheet that tell you, you know, when you should onside kick if you're, you know, what the score is. And what I mean by that is if you're down uh, 21-17, clearly you're not going to onside kick. But if you're down 41-37, your defense has demonstrated you can't stop them. Now, 
this doesn't necessarily apply at the NFL level, but those charts that I'm referencing right there are ones that we had, which was basically, hey, what do we do if, and then, you know, dot, 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 we can't stop them, right? So we can't stop them. We're going to onside kick three or four times. My point is there are charts that exist and things that you can have in place. So you as a coach don't have to think of it on the fly. That chart does not exist for when do I abandon my quote game plan? I would say if you do so prior to mid, prior to the eight minute mark of the second quarter, I think maybe you're demonstrating a little bit of impatience. That's my simple answer. Um, I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah, that does. I think that I think that's a fair cutoff point. And it probably depends on what your what style of offense you run anyway. You know, I'm I'm a little older, so I can uh, now everyone talks about oh the modern game and the and the spread and everything. Well, like there's a lot of a lot of people who say that don't even know what the run and shoot was. You know, the, I happened to go to a high school that ran the run and shoot, so we threw the ball 30, 35 times a game. And, and this was early '90s. That was kind of unheard of then. If you're a run and shoot team and your offense quote isn't working, and it's mid second quarter and you're down 23, 20 to three, well, what the hell do you do? You keep throwing. <laughs> You keep doing what you do anyway, right? You know, so right. point being, I think that that uh, question, which is a good one from you, but that perspective that a lot of people take, well, you, you don't have the type of offense to come back. They only direct that at a team that's a running team. I feel like it's a little um, unfair is not the word, a little judgy, not, not your original question, Chris, because it was a good one. But that's that that question is generally only asked of running teams. And I would offer that I don't think we're going to be anywhere near the run pass ratio that we were from 2019. I just don't think we are. Whether Gus and JK are healthy early or not, I think our past schemes and past design showed a ton of improvement early in 2021. And there's just no question. If you watch the film, there was a lot of design that was not there in 2019 and 2020. The influence, if you ask me, of T. Martin um, cannot be understated. I don't know that Keith Williams, his first name is Keith, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't know that Keith Williams has had the same um, impact because he's a wide receiver position coach. T. Martin is, to my knowledge, the guy who's in charge of the passing game, but I might have it backwards. Uh, But in any case, there is some influence that happened early in 2021 the passing game did improve. The design did improve. Lamar's ability to go through reads did improve uh, because he was being asked to do that in practice. In my opinion, eliminating the pistol read option, excuse me, or minimizing it will only make the, the passing game better because he'll have more time to spend on it in practice. There's only so much time in practice. You can't, you can't be there for five hours a day. You, you can't. So I have said before, and I continue to say, I think the 2019 offense is a great comparison in terms of the personnel usage. I don't think we'll be anywhere near that run pass ratio. So um, in terms of your original question, Chris, I think I strayed away from it, but I think we'll be a little more balanced offensively anyway. And the plan quote unquote, won't always be to just overwhelm people with the running game early. So we won't be going away from it when we're down 17 to three. Sorry, took me a long to get time to get there. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I followed all that, and I, yeah, I like that answer a lot. Actually, I think, yeah, I think the what you said about you know not doing as much pistol, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's sort of 
you know, I feel like that's kind of been the the plan too, right? 2020, we did it a little mm-hmm. bit less. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 2021, we did it a little bit less. I mean, a lot of it was due to injury, but I know we've lost some key pieces. I think one of the reasons why it worked so well was we had we had the three tight ends to kind of run it effectively, right? Um, and we have Ricard as well. Um, and we just, we had all the pieces there that like, okay, we could do this. And, you know, when it works, it works really, really well. But yeah, in, in early 2021, I mean, the passing game looked I- incredible. It just looked extremely different from almost anything that we had seen in, mm-hmm. in 2019. So yeah, it sort of feels like a natural evolution. I think for me, also from what we've seen in, in 2020 from, from Dobbins and Gus and what we were hoping to see in 2021 before they got hurt, um, I think like that adds another element there too of not only in the running game, but I mean, they could be weapons in the pass game. That's one thing I was really looking forward to seeing from Dobbins is just seeing more, you know, running back screens or just, you know, dump off like a- anything that Ray Rice had done. Yes. <laughs> like Ray, yes. Ray Rice was, was fantastic in, in the passing game as <laughs> fourth and 29. Everybody remembers, right? He yeah. was doing that all the time for Joe Flacco. And I, I think if, you know, adding that piece, I think adds another element of, you know, a safety net for Lamar even if, you know, options downfield aren't open. Um, and we know those guys, like they're, especially Dobbins, I think are threats to to take it to the house at any point because of the speed and, and power and, and shiftiness in the open field. Um, so yeah, I, I think between all that stuff, I, I definitely feel, I feel better that we have, we have the players now, uh, as long as everybody comes healthy. I think we have a lot of the right players in place. And yeah, to your point, it kind of feels like a natural uh, evolution, so... Yeah, definitely. They're, you know, even if those guys aren't around for the first four or five, six weeks, whatever that cutoff point is, I think it's six weeks. Depending, I I'm mean, sure. depending on uh, if they're on the pup, yeah, then I guess it would be six weeks. Yeah, I think even, and I might be way wrong on this. I just, I feel like even if, no matter who's there at running back, if we, if we are going to use pistol read option the same manner that we've done it, teams have demonstrated to us they're, they're able to recognize. Because sometimes we're in the pistol and you can look at it pre-snap and you can say, all right, we're, we're definitely not running the ball. Just just based upon where the fullback uh, tight end is, how close they are to the formation, which side they're on. And defense, I mean, come on, NFL defenses, those guys are incredibly intelligent. They film, Their film study is right. you know, great. So they can identify it as well. I just don't think we're going to be doing that as often. No matter who is back there, I think there needs to be, and it goes all along with something that I talked about with, um, I think Engraven like a week and a half, week week and a half ago. We've got to get away from asking Lamar to to be to put the Superman cape on all the time, and yeah. we we didn't mention that if we're down fourteen, he can do that. He he can do that. He can say, all right, I'm going to get here. I'm going to make two reads, and if something's there, I'm going to take off, and you guys are going to have to tackle me. And I don't I don't know at which point his level of athleticism you know, falls at all. Uh, but it's not, it's not right now. <laughs> he, uh, he can, he can still take off and and make two people miss and gain, you know, 16, 18 yards. And that just absolutely changes the um, defensive integrity because you're back there. Your coach is telling you, we're going to play zone all week because we have eyes on Lamar. We're not going to let him scramble. And then he does so. And you're like, well, what coverage do we play now, coach? You know, how do we stop yeah. this guy from doing this? So, you know, to still answer that original question from six or eight minutes ago is, you know, Lamar can put on the Superman cape at any time and be that guy. I just don't think that need that shouldn't be option one A or one B for us. Burrow is a facilitator, not to 
minimize the things he does. He's a great football player and he makes plays at certain times, but he's generally just a facilitator, getting the ball out to the playmakers and letting them make plays. And Lamar, if you ask me, needs to be allowed to try to be more like that at times. And instead of burning him out early in games, early in the season and early in possessions. Great point. Yeah, I think the passing game did take those big steps that you mentioned in 2021. It'd be a shame to throw them out just because we're excited about what this personnel can provide as far as allowing us to use them in heavier looks and, and run the ball effectively. I think putting all these pieces together, using the approved passing game and leading on it. I mean, I was joking after we lost the consecutive hundred game rushing record, it was going to be the start of 300 yard passing games by, by Lamar <laughs> because you saw how well they were passing the ball and, you know, hoping for more 400 yard games, you know, like I think he has it in him and it'd be a beauty to see him throw, you know, for eight, 10 games over 300 yards. Um, and not because like they're trying to come from behind, but just because that's how they establish their lead. And then they switch to a run game. I mean, that'd be incredible. Prior, prior to last year, just a quick, um, hopefully brief <laughs> explanation of the evolution of the pass game. Prior to last year, generally, our passing game consisted of play action passes, M- you know, which in some cases relied on the running game working. And I have said on videos and people disagree with it. The running game doesn't always need to be quote working for play action pass to, to succeed. The running game can be just a thing that you're doing consistently to draw the eyes of people. Generally, again, they're playing zone. So they're reading Lamar. Uh, I think early 2021, there were more uh, pass concepts that we were effective in that were not of the play action genre. And I think that that's only going to get better kind of, tagging on to something Chris said, I think that we're going to see even more improvement from that. Now, the numbers of the passing game after the midseason 2021 do not support what I'm saying. Well, we did not have a, a good offensive line. In fact, we probably had a bottom, bottom five to bottom seven offensive line in the league in terms of pass pro. That's not what those guys did well. Each of us has individual skills, things we do very well that particular group of offensive linemen last year, what they did that played best to their skills was run block, right? Yeah. Asking them to pass pro 40, 42 times in a game is setting them up for failure. Now, in some cases we had to, you know, so, so point, point being, we're going to be way better on the offensive line. I think the pass schemes will be better. Um, We will not be as reliant on play action schemes. And to me, that's the part that you can look at early 2021 and see, Lamar got way better at things that weren't as heavily reliant on play action. And I firmly believe that we're going to continue to ask him to do more of those things and continue to allow him time and practice to work on them. Cause it doesn't just happen. You have to practice those reads in practice, in practice, and you have to get comfortable with the receivers who can actually read what you're being asked to read and then find the open space. It doesn't just, you don't just plug a guy in and him do it until he's demonstrated to Lamar that, you know, this is someone we that you can trust. I think he has those guys. I do. Do you want to use that as the wrap up or is there anything else you want to hit before we end? You know, I, I try to say to my videos uh, or at least in chat comments, like, and, I've, and I, I know this from, you know, being a teacher as well, you learn from everyone, you know, it's, that's the, un, that's the unfortunate thing of like the YouTube format and presenting, uh, you know, videos sometimes is like, it's one way communication generally. 
and it's way better to be able to converse with people and, and actually, uh, you know, hear someone's input and go, wow, I, I think Chris said it one time, like, I didn't think of it that way. And then that, that kind of is a spark for your brain to go down another pathway. Um, hope, and, and we know that our, you know, our coaches and our players, you know, do the same thing. I think that's what, that's the one thing I think that's great about having T Martin and Keith Williams there is they do not come from the same coaching tree as Greg Roman at some point, those guys had to mesh. I think they showed evidence of a quality mesh last year. Uh, you know, we want to see it be even more obvious on film. So there can be no question about where our offense is going. Absolutely. That's a great point. And we love doing this show and bringing on guests and kind of having these conversations too. Cause you know, you can, the, even just the three of us talking a lot can get into a group thing and it's really nice to bring in other ideas. So we really appreciate all that you brought to the show today. No, thank, thank you. The, the appreciation is from me. I mean, I, I continue to say, like, my wife will say, like, what are you recording? And I'm like, well, I'm going to be going someone's podcast. She's like, who wants you to come on their podcast? You know, so. <laughs> we do. <laughs> she's, not a, she's not a football person at all. And, and that's, you know, generally the reason why I don't coach, not because she told me not to, but because I recognized that there was an, there was an imbalance in the amount of time and, and uh, focus, you know, for me, because I, you know, just to be forthright, I didn't feel talented in coaching. So to be effective, I felt like I had to overcompensate in terms of dedicating time, you know, so, but uh, it's always fun, man. I, I love it. So appreciate it guys. Awesome. Well, you can find coach at all underscore 22 underscore film uh, films on YouTube. And then you can also find him on Twitter. What, what, what's, your, what's your Twitter? Uh, I, I wish I, maybe you can help me with that. It's, it's currently all 22 NFL cuts. I wish I could change it to the same exact uh, character sequencing as on YouTube, but uh, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I'm too old. Oh, we can help you with that. Yeah. We, we actually just start, changed our name from Ravens Recap to One Winning Pod, and you can do it and keep all your followers. It'll be good. Wonderful. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that after the show. But uh, yeah, definitely check him out wherever his new name is <laughs> at, that, at that time. <laughs> uh, you'll find he has a lot of common followers if you've been following people on, on, on Twitter. So it won't be a surprise. But thanks for uh, listening to the show. The show was actually recorded uh, for context on June 29th, uh, but you'll, you'll be hearing it in July. Um, but thanks so much for listening. You can find us at One Winning Pod on Twitter, and you can email us onewinningpod at gmail.com. We'll see you soon. Training camp's going to be started soon. Go Ravens.